Well, welcome. If you're a visitor here, my name is Jesus. I'm one of the elders here. Uh, it's our great joy and privilege to come and to spend a good Friday with you just this little bit. And part of today, we're going to be looking at the Easter story. And through the songs that we've sung, you probably have heard of the book and so and the games that we played, we've been talking about kinks. Really? This idea of king of kinks. This, this wording, this concept. And how does that relate to Jesus' death? I mean, if you were to pull out three of the most common Bible stories that everyone probably knows, the top three probably would be Noah's Ark, the Great Flood and all that kind of stuff, Jesus' birth because of Christmas time, and Jesus' death because of Easter. But in Easter, you've got this wording about Jesus that is called King of Kings. There's no... Can you have songs about it? There's no famous story called Jesus' crowning or Jesus' monarchy begins or uh, Jesus starts the Duke of Nazareth award as part of royal visit. You don't really have a story that kind of really cements this fact that Jesus is king or Jesus is king of kings. It's not really written in the same way. So why do we sing that song? Why does Jesus have that title, even? In fact, in the Bible, it comments on it multiple times. There's kind of just three verses here just to model that. 1 Timothy 6, verse 15, which he will bring about at proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation 1, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and release us from our sins by his blood. Revelation 17 verse 14. These will wage war against the Lamb and the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called and chosen and are faithful. So why? Why is this title relevant? Why is this title said? I mean, we can probably understand some of the other titles Jesus has given. Healer, he did that. Teacher, he did that. Priest, yeah, he kind of did that in the temple. Provider, 5,000 with lunch, he did that. But this title, King of Kings, well, let's explore it. There's kind of two, ah, this is not in order. There's two main questions here. That we've got to look at. Question number one is, why is Jesus king? Question number two is, why king of kings? Those are the kind of two questions that we've got to look at here. Right? So let's look at the first one. Jesus is king. Well, for Jesus to be king, he needs a kingdom. Right? King Charles is the king of the United Kingdom. So to be king, you need a kingdom. It kind of works in a respective way. So what is God's kingdom? Well, the kingdom of God is God's reign through God's people over God's place. God's reign through God's people over God's place. Let's break that down. God's reign. Did you know that all the swans in the UK belong to the monarchy? Did you know that? I don't know if this is fully true or not. I think I Googled it this morning just to check, fact check myself. I think majority of the swans. But I remember reading this as a rumor when growing up that all the swans in the UK belong to the 
to the queen. And so I remember asking, does that mean that the queen can eat any swan that she would like? Of course, the first thing out of my head goes to food, right? Like, that's, that's the first point of call. But I remember the imagination kicking off of the royals having swan chariot racing whilst being massaged by swans, before watching a game of football of Swan United versus Swan City. I was a creative child. Um, The reality of the rumour comes from the fact that the monarch reigns over the UK, including the swans. So the, the monarchy reigns over the UK, including what's within it. In similar fashion, God reigns over his creation. He reigns over it. It belongs to him. And all that is in it, including the swans, would you have thought. So we see this painted at the very beginning of the Bible story in Genesis, when God created the world. He created it, and therefore he reigns over all of it and everything within it. God's reign through God's people. What is God's people? Well, if God reigns over his creation, he also reigns through his creation. Adam and Eve, in the story in in Genesis, were made to be stewards of the world, i.e. to be God's royal representative to care for creation on behalf of the king. That was kind of their, their their role to begin with. Humanity had been created to be caretakers and enable God's creation to flourish. God's reign through God's people over God's place. God's place referring to what starts in the Garden of Eden, but really is talking about all of creation, every single part of it, the world in all of its entity, and also the people who live in it. The world is a place to reveal the glory of God. That's what nature does. It reveals the glory of God. Therefore, you have these three terminologies that are also interlinked and reflect this entity called the kingdom of God. In fact, the question of why is Jesus king is a really easy question to answer. Jesus is king because he has made a kingdom place and his kingdom people for his kingdom reign. Jesus reigns over what has been created and reigns through his people that has been created to reveal his reign and his glory and power. Both physical and spiritual, God's kingdom reigns. It's a really simple question. So what about the second question? King of kings. It's a little bit more puzzling. And we kind of need to unpack the Bible story a little bit more to understand it. Well, if I'm totally honest with you, I haven't been, um, I haven't been completely honest of the reality of how the Bible story gets painted. I've really only talked about the first one chapter of the, of the Bible, really. If you see what happens for the rest of the Bible, um, it doesn't end to be as pleasantry as it kind of is meant to, to be created for. You've got Adam and Eve, where at the beginning, they basically go, we don't want a king. We kind of want to reign ourselves. And they decided to be disobedient against God. They chose to sin, i.e. being completely self-reliant on myself 
and my own plans and my own ways and my own reign, instead of saying, I want to choose to belong to king, the king's reign. In the olden days, if you reject the command of the king, if you'd be disobedient to get as a king, your head will get caught, kind of chopped off. The king will show his dominance and everyone would just move on. It's kind of how medieval times worked. Kind of glad that Sadiq Khan doesn't, hasn't brought that back, you know what I mean? But like that's, that's how it used to be. You disobey the king, head gets cut, show dominance. Okay, let's move on. I am king. This is what happens. Here's a problem. If God's kingdom is about God's reign through God's people over God's place, God has decided to use his people. God's people have decided not to be God's people. Ah, there's the problem. So God's decision has said, I want to use my people. These people have said, I don't want that God. And you've got this clash which has kind of formed a real break in all of humanity. In fact, if you kind of consider it like this, you had God and humanity all together, you then suddenly have this break where God and humanity are no longer together. There is a, a gap, a chasm, something that means that that can't be the case. Now, God full well could have gone well, forget humanity. We kind of see that with that other famous story of Noah. But even in that story, God promises that he will never do it again. He makes a covenant with his people, an agreement with his people to say, I, I will use you. I want you. So we've got this tension that needs to be resolved. And it can't be resolved like earthly kings does. It's got to be resolved in a better and bigger way. Therefore, God has to make a plan to save his people and to make a way back into his kingdom. Now, you might be sitting there wondering, well, wait a second. Forget God. Let's just do our own kingdom. Well, if you read both in the Bible and historical books recorded across all of humanity and all the time, any moment where some man, some person has said, hey, I'm going to be king, it has ended up with full of evil, full of depravity, and full of suffering. Just take the last three years and what has happened in this world, all that's happened in Russia, that is going on. Evil and depravity of man of trying to be king. Take World War II. Evil and depravity of man shown and displayed. Take what happened with Genghis Khan. Evil and depravity of man showing its case. What I'm trying to model is anytime man has said, hey, I'm going to try and be king, it has fallen short and fallen with great suffering and evil. And though I'm talking about kingdoms, what we know, we can also do this in our lives. So when I try and say, hey, when I try to be king of myself, and I do things for my own way, when something doesn't go my way, it doesn't end well. Evil and depravity of man. So we need some way of rectifying this problem. We'll read through the gospel story and you see different things. I already mentioned about Noah. You also see a, a guy called Abraham and how God chose to uh, use his family line for where salvation was going to come for all humanity. You see a man called David 
who was appointed king because all Israel was wanting one. So God appointed one and said, this is an example of the king to come. You see, a woman called Esther and her uncle Mordecai, who brought freedom to all the oppressed Jews in that time. All the Jews were destined to be killed, and yet they were brought to be free, free under a new kingdom reign. You see, a man called Isaiah, a prophet, one who was speaking the word of God. And he makes it clear that there will come a savior to set free the chosen people. You see, time and time again, what is called the Old Testament, story after story, signpost after signpost, to there be a savior that was going to come and help set people free. And after all that, you have Jesus who enters into the story. At the time, the Jews were oppressed by another group of people called the Romans. Suddenly, Jesus was fitting all the checklists. He was ticking the boxes and ticking the boxes of the prophecies as well. Things were going well for him. He was healing people, teaching people. He was redeeming people. He was like properly fitting the picture of what everything in the Old Testament was pointing to. And you, we get to Palm Sunday, you know, what was celebrated last week. Where Jesus rides in on a colt, a young donkey, and all the crowds gather around and say, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna means save us, help us. Similar to the cries of praise that would be put towards the kings in the Old Testament. It was a cry of help in the time of need, saying, come be elevated, my king. Come help us and save us for what's going on. However, the crowds were all focused on their kingdom. The popularity that Jesus was gaining was before their kingdom, their freedom in their way. Remember, Jesus, he is the king of his kingdom. His kingdom for all people that was needing to be redeemed. So, after Palm Sunday, in one week, we see Jesus call out things that start to affect the people's viewpoint of him. First thing he did is he went to a table and he flipped the stools over, saying, how dare you make my father's house into a den of thieves and robbers? He says things that start to tackle people where they're at, try to challenge people what God they actually believe in. All the religious leaders came and asked Jesus questions, questioned him, even tried to trick him. Jesus dealt with them simply and calmly, but very directly. That offended some of these leaders. You have stories where Jesus was basically saying, you have rejected God. You have chosen to be God for yourself. And you have all sinned. You have all become self-reliant. You have abused his relationship for your own gain. But God will reign and redeem once again. Wow. Shocking. Popular Jesus that entered into the oops. Popular Jesus that entered into the into the town praising. Now start to turn where they actually go, you know what, let's kill this guy off. He's too much. So at the end of the week, they captured him. They took him 
and put him through a whole bunch of different fake courts. You can read all this, by the way, in the Gospels. You can read all this. They chucked him to the Romans. Yes, the Romans. The ones that oppressed the Jews at the time. And even when the Romans were saying, this guy is innocent, the same crowd was going, kill him. May his blood be on us and our children. That's what we ended up having. You can see all of this written here. We head into Good Friday. I'm not going to read it out, but let me just point out the details that are important for this today. We head into that Friday, known as Good Friday, but truthfully the most awful day in all humanity, where God's own people kill their king. It says that Jesus was stripped and flogged. Flogging, by the way, wasn't just through straps of leather. They would have had bones put in them. That as he was whipped, flesh was pulled away from his body. So that strips of thorns were fashioned into a crown. Similar to the crowns that you uh, kind of were wearing earlier, but more like kind of Olympic crowns that were made out of olive branches in the Olympics put a crown on his head. The thorns as well are not like rosebush thorns. They're not small little ones. They were like long, sharp thorns that would have jammed into his head, causing him to bleed from his brow. They were giving him a reed in his right hand as a mockery of a star for a king. They dressed him in a purple robe, a color that was for royalty. They shouted, all hail the king of the Jews, while spitting at Jesus as a sign of disrespect. They forced him to carry his own cross to the place where he was killed. And when Jesus entered into the town on a donkey with great praise, Jesus exited the town with hurls of abuse, with a cross that he was to be murdered on. Some king of kings, hey? And on that cross, Jesus said, it is finished, and died. Hold up. It is finished? It is finished? I don't know about you, but there's an element of wording that doesn't kind of make sense. Like, you would kind of thought Jesus would go like, I am finished, or... You know, I'm going to die, or I've had enough, or something. But the words he says is, it is finished. We've just seen the brutal murdering of Jesus. Something that he was innocent about. And yet the words he uses is, it is finished. Well, what was finished? Remember what God's plan was for his people. His plan was to bring back his people back to his kingdom. And that is what he had just done in that moment. The cross, the pivotal moment for all humanity, where Jesus was deemed as the scapegoat of sin, the sacrificial lamb for all people, where all of humanity's sin, all of their self-reliance was put on the one who had to be completely reliant on God. The one that put all of the self-reliance of sin on his shoulders. 
When people said, may his blood be on us and his children, little did they know that was the exact point of what had to happen. All the Jewish people thought that they needed saving from. Little did they know what they needed saving for. We are saved from death and for life. We are saved from shame and for glory. We are saved from slavery and for freedom. We are saved from sin and for following our Savior. We are saved from the kingdom of darkness for the kingdom of light. Jesus, as the sacrificial lamb, died for all of humanity's sin to rectify and reconcile everything to belong to him once again. That is what the point of it is finished. The bridge had been made once again. The crown of thorns jammed into Jesus' skull was intended so that he could suffer, so that we never needed to suffer again in the same way. This is because the divine master himself fulfills his lordship and kingship, not in domination, but in full sacrificial service as a slave to all. That is what makes Jesus king of kings. No other kings can do this. No other kings will do this. It's not because of how big his kingdom is, but he has done something for those in his kingdom that no other king will ever do. He put down his royalty to pick up his servanthood to then be elevated to be the royal one above all other kings for all of humanity. Good Friday is good because Jesus died for me and I am forever free to enjoy him. You might remember this image again. Humanity and God separated. Well, on one side, you've got the wages of sin. You've got sin itself and the self-reliant of everything and you've got death, eternal death that we would be in. That's where humanity was. On the other side of God, you could get the free gift of life. You get fully a relationship with God and you get eternal life and the freedom of it all. But there's a chasm. There's no way effort that can make it. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus bridged the gap to make a way that we can no longer be in the ways of sin and death, but we get the free gift of God, the free gift of life, and the free gift of relationship for all eternity. And all that is asked of us is to repent from our old ways, repent from that old kingdom of darkness, and turn to trust in God as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and to receive him in all his fullness. That's what Romans 3 verse 23 says. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the gospel message today. That's why I get to celebrate that this is a good day. That I get to choose to be part of his kingdom. Here's my question. Who is your king? Who is your king? It's very easy to want to be on the throne ourselves. But as soon as I get the power, I recognize that I am useless with it. But when I give the kingship to the king of kings, I recognize not only do I come in as a subject of his courts, I enter in as a child of the king. 
And Alpha, as um, we kind of heard before, is a great place to understand a little bit more about Christianity. I would really recommend, if you want to explore Christianity, you want to explore actually that question of who is your king, Alpha is the ideal place for you to go to. This will shape and challenge you greatly and allow you to ask you great healthy questions to just explore Christianity a little bit more. And on Alpha, there's a great kind of um, way of helping us understand how to come to Jesus as king. It's three simple words. Sorry, thank you, please. Sorry for living in a kingdom of darkness and doing things for myself. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me. And please, Holy Spirit, help me to live a life for you every day from this day forward. Do you want to stand with me? Band, if you want to come back up, we're going to sing a song uh, in a second, but I just want to give space to lead anyone who have, might have heard this gospel story and might have heard about the reality of Jesus on the cross. I think Easter and the story of Jesus on the cross is one that is in our culture and probably often um, kind of really deafened and reduced and dumbed down in a way just to kind of get through a good school Easter service so that we can then crack on with having chocolate eggs. There's a better gift than chocolate. I, don't, I didn't know if you know that. And that's Jesus. And he's a gift that you get to receive fresh again today or for the first time today to enter into his courts, no longer just as an orphan, no longer in a different kingdom, but into the kingdom of life. So where you are, if you want to close your eyes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer of sorry, thank you, please. And the way in to Jesus, just saying those words with the meanings of your heart, is called repentance, turning away from your old life, turning to the kingdom of God, your new life. The old is gone and the new has come. So as I pray this prayer, if you want to pray it after me, please do that from where you are. And then I'm going to ask a question of faith to see you responding. Let me pray this prayer. If you want to close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for all that I've done. I'm sorry for living in sin. I'm sorry for living in the kingdom of darkness and choosing for myself to be king. Please forgive me. And I thank you that Jesus, you are king. You are king of kings. And by your grace, you died and saved me. And I choose to follow you for all the rest of my days. Please, Holy Spirit, help me to live a life for you. As you are now my king. Amen. Where you're at, keep your eyes shut just for a second. just want to ask, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, for the first time, why everyone I Everyone else's eyes are shut. If you could just lift up your hand now. You pray that prayer for the first time. You raise your hand now. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Well, we're going to respond with singing. We're going to just sing, Worthy is the Lamb, to remind us of, of this day. And then we'll close and finish up.